Um, I'm going to postpone uh, what I actually had planned because we're going to get into um, the Covenant Works tonight, but we're going to get into that, but uh, uh, we're going we're to go a little bit of a different direction in talking about another aspect of a covenant theology that's very important that goes along with everything uh, which you need to understand in order to understand covenant theology. However, before that, I want to ask if there was, uh, especially on the first point this morning, did anybody, a first point of our outline, um, the justice of God's actions in the Battle of Jericho, did that enlighten anyone? Did it help anyone? I mean, I, would you be able to talk to someone who comes up to you and say, uh, a, a true loving God would never do that? So, yeah. He gave them 400 years to get their act together. Yes, he did. <laughs> he did. You weren't even here. Gosh. I'm a Baptist, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> wow. If no, even the Baptist can understand it. Then. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Southern Baptist did that. None of the Presbyterians mentioned anything. I, uh, maybe I confused them way too much. Well, I could get technical and tell them that the sin of the Amorites had not yet to come to completion, but they would look at me like deer in the headlights and be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so what would you do then if you were listening this morning? God is just. It's a hotbed of not just idolatry, but child sacrifice. Yeah, they were they were doing all kinds of. They were sacrificing to Molech. Were you listening in this morning? Somebody? Yeah, you must. I mean, you're following the outline pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> Leviticus 18. You remember what we get from it? Leviticus 18. All of the sexual immorality and all the sexual sins are told not to do. And why is he running the people out of uh, Canaan? Because they made the land because unclean. Because he made the promise to Abraham that that was his land. Well, right, he, but he says in Leviticus 18, he's talking about the sexual sins. And then at the end there, or part of that last little part of it there, says, you're not to do this when you get into the land because this is the reason they're being run out of the land. They did these things. Come on, guys. Nobody write this down. Leviticus 18. I mean, it, we, we went back up before this for talking about many of the other sexual sins, and you can go a lot, lot longer through it, but you see particularly verse 22, it looks like, do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman that is detestable. Verse 23, which sounds like one of the most detestable things, do not have sexual relations with enamel or defile yourselves with it. A woman must not present herself to an animal to have sexual relations with it. Uh, that is a perversion. Do not defile yourselves in the way in uh, in any of the ways uh, these ways, because this is how the nations uh, that I'm going to drive out before you became defiled. Were were they wicked? Is their wickedness filled up, as he told Abraham in Genesis 15? Yes. Can you imagine the perversion? says this is what they're doing okay. and then we looked in uh, Deuteronomy um, 18 talks about them um, 
doing the hocus pocus with all the witchcraft and that sort of stuff saying don't do that I'm driving them out because they were doing that too and also in Deuteronomy 9 talks about their, their awful wickedness and that's the reason God was driving them out and so when you see that I tried to and maybe you didn't get the connection here tried to say you know a, a righteous parent a good right parent disciplines their child if they're stepping out of line you you know knock the snot out of them sort of thing but uh, a, a righteous judge doesn't let a wicked person go it's not righteous God is a righteous judge and he cannot allow that to continue to happen so anyway. in Deuteronomy 18 it talks about uh, yeah, they sacrificing to Molech. You shall not, yeah. yeah. So, anyway, so that was, uh, I was just, I, I found that help to me. If somebody's, con you know, if I'm confronting somebody or somebody's confronting me with, the, with how could, you know, you look at all the, uh, God wiping out the people in the Old Testament. Well, he's just in doing that. Uh, as, as David said in Psalm 51, you're justified when you judge. You're proven right in your judgments and God was judging them using his people not righteous people by any means but God was using them to, to judge them okay tonight uh, I want us to uh, deal with a, an issue that we find throughout with the whole idea of covenant um, we're going to see it in uh, the first few chapters of Genesis but uh, but before we get there, I want you to uh, open your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 9. Okay, uh, verse... 8 and 9 uh, give you context here. The floods happened. Um, they've come out uh, of the flood safe because they were... Who, who got into the ark, by the way? Ark of the Covenant to be safe. Or not the, the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> there, was, there was very few people who got in the Ark of the Covenant. But the, the ark, who, who got to get into the ark? Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives. Yeah. And why did God... You know, we, we look at Noah, and why is Noah the one that gets in? Righteous. Yeah, he was, he was a righteous man. He was like the only one. And so the wickedness of man had filled out up once again. Only, only Noah was there. And so it is because of Noah and being connected with Noah that the rest of them get to get into the ark, right? Mm -hmm. And so the flood comes, um, it's the, the earth's dried up and they're getting out now and God comes to Noah. And so chapter 9, verses 8 and 9, somebody read. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. Thank you. Who's the covenant with? Noah and his offspring. Noah and his offspring, right? On what, on what basis is it with Noah and his offspring? Who's, who's God make the covenant with originally? Noah. Noah. Yeah. So Noah. Okay, uh, flip over a few chapters. Um, 
this is chapter, well, let's go to 17. Okay, uh, this is where, you know, God's already made the covenant with Abram. Uh, we saw that in Genesis 15, which has been our main text for the last two Sunday nights, where uh, God, they have the, uh, uh, the ceremony, the covenant ceremony, where it comes down between the pieces of broken, uh, uh, the cut up animal. It says that day God made covenant with Abram. And now, in chapter 17, God gives Abram the sign of the covenant, right? And the sign of the covenant, as we know, is circumcision. Now, covenants with, with Abram, right? That day God made covenant with Abram. Uh, someone read uh, Genesis 17.10. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Who's the covenant with? Abraham. Abraham and then who? His offspring. offspring. <clears throat> On what basis is it covenant made with his offspring? Abraham's righteousness. Because of Abraham. Because God has made a covenant with Abraham. Who benefits? Well, Abraham and his offspring. God makes a covenant with Noah. Who benefits? Well, Noah and his offspring. Um, even with all the well, all, all the water that we've had around here most recently, and that we're anticipating to come, it's not going to flood the whole earth again. We know that God has made a covenant promise, given us a sign of that, right? What's the sign? Rainbow. Rainbow in the sky. So we see that and remember, God is faithful to His promise. He's not going to flood the whole earth again. We may get flooded. We got flooded here in two thousand eight, seven, seven. Yeah, it's huge. But anyway. Okay, um, turn with me then to Romans chapter 5. this is kind of jumping the gun because we probably should do this part at least a little bit after we discuss the covenant works but we're we're not we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit here so um, verse 12 anyone till where oh just read 12 and 12 12 to 14 I think Okay. Yeah, this <clears throat> Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Okay. Now. We're going to learn next time we get together when we talk about the covenant of works that God makes a covenant to begin with with Adam. 
who, uh, and we talked about what, what are the parts of a covenant we talked about, remember? Last time we talked about parties. Oh, what else was in there? Promises. Promises. Seal. Sign. Excuse me? A sign. Sign seal. Yeah. Well, consequences. Consequences. Promises. Okay. We got that. Okay. Um, I'm missing part, but yeah, so. Anyway, the consequences of this of this covenant, or the promises that God makes with Adam would be life, right? Consequences of not keeping it, therefore, would be yeah. death. Right? Who, according to Romans chapter 5, then, who um, Adam and his uh, in this relationship that he has with God, God makes this relationship with Adam, who else does it affect? Just Adam? Adam and Eve and his sons. Yeah. Adam and his offspring, right? So it would affect Adam and all of his offspring. And that's what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 5, right? It's not just Adam that died because he sinned. But everybody sinned, everybody died who was born of Adam. Because they sinned in exactly the same way as Adam did. No. No. And he mentions Moses here in an interesting context. What is the significance of, of Moses coming into the picture here? Law is given through Moses. Adam was given the law, right? You give this one law. Pretty, many trees, but except this one. If you do it, you're sure you're going to die. So, um, so, Adam disobeyed, of course, and so the, the, the penalty for that comes to him. And Paul says, all these people between Adam and Moses, even though they didn't have a direct command like Adam did, and then when Moses comes and the law is given through Moses, once again, you've got God giving a direct command. They didn't sin in breaking the law that was... Uh, orally given to them as Adam did or as those would do after Moses. And yet, what happened to them? They died. Because of their own actions? Well, because they were in Adam. Not saying they didn't sin too, because they did. And they should have known better. They knew the things, even though they, they knew the things not to do. I mean, certainly Cain knew it was evil to kill his brother Abel, right? We, we know these things are true and several other passages between Adam and Moses we, we know that uh, people knew right things to do and things that were wrong to do and so they would sin but they weren't given the law in the same way as Adam was and then as it comes with Moses okay and so you've got Adam acting on behalf not just of himself but of all of his offspring you've got Noah acting not just on behalf of himself but knowing all of his offspring you see, Abraham given the promise, not just on his behalf, but him and all of his offspring. Right? In the same passage, in Romans chapter 5, we go to... Um, I don't think he calls him the... I think he calls him the last Adam in 1 Corinthians 15. What's he called here? One... Uh, 
he talks about Adam being the pattern of one to come. Who's the one to come? Jesus. Right. Jesus, yeah. And so how is he a pattern of the one to come? He's Jesus. How is he a pattern of the one to come? What's he just been talking about here with, that has happened with uh, Adam? What's Adam done? He disobeys, and that affects not only him, but everyone after him. So his actions affect also his offspring. How is he a pattern of the one to come? Jesus, Jesus comes, and his actions do what? He's going to affect everyone. Affect those who come after him, those who are in him, right? So Adam and his offspring are those who are in him. Noah and his offspring, those who are in Noah. Abraham and his offspring, those who are in Abram. And so Jesus, and I don't really say offspring, but Jesus acts on behalf of um, those in Christ. So you have here, and this is, this is pretty essential to uh, covenant theology, you have this idea of God making a covenant with an individual and that individual acting on behalf of those who are in him. These people are what's called is an important term here. Go ahead. Federal head. Federal head, Federal head yeah. Sometimes covenant theology is actually called a thorough theology. What's it called? Federal okay. theology. Yeah. And so the idea of a federal head is someone who acts on behalf of others. His, his works affect them. We see it um, kind of, I guess, in our government. Um, when uh, we, we might say, look, I've got no animosity whatsoever towards those in the Middle East, uh, those in Syria. But when our government says, we're going to send some bombs over there and and blow some of those people out of the water, right? Their actions affect us, especially if they're going to decide to retaliate, and they decide the best place in the world for us to retaliate is Gainesville, Texas. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, they acted on behalf of us, right? And their actions have consequences to us. So you have the idea of a federal head. A more crass illustration would be um, in your football team, quarterback drops back to pass and he throws it right to the, the defensive guy. The quarterback's not the only one who suffers. He might suffer, but the whole team is going to suffer because the guy runs it back for a touchdown the other team wins, you know. So anyway, he's acting on behalf of. So it's kind of a crass sort of illustration for it. But the idea is that in each of these cases, God makes his covenant with uh, someone and then that not only with them, but all of those who go after him. So, and especially in Romans chapter 5 here, what is the result? Uh, what's, what's the result of being an Adam? Death. Death. We all die. It comes to us all. Right? So, in Adam, all die. What's the result then of being in Christ? All live. Yeah. In Christ, you have life. Now some, maybe you've heard others say it, maybe you've said it or thought it yourself. It's just not fair that 
Adam's sin would be passed down to me, and I would be, um, I, I, I would be charged for Adam's sin, right? Now, if you want to reject that, and so there are people who do and still do in Christianity, if you want to reject the fact that Adam's sin affected you, and so you were born in sin, and you were born a sinner, and that is the reason you sin, is because you were born a sinner, not you don't become a sinner simply because you sin. You're born a sinner, and you act on that. So if you want to reject this whole idea and say that's not fair, um, and it, I think that it would have to be because of our time and a different way of thinking than, than others have thought in the past, but if you would say that's just not fair, then you have to say, well, this isn't fair either, and uh, if, if it's not fair that all die in Adam, then it would not be fair that in Christ those who are in Him get life as well. So if you're rejecting this, you kind of have to reject this too. Makes sense. And so Paul is saying that this is, uh, that this is something that, that we really need to uh, uh, think about and about how life comes to us. Um, and this is part of the, uh, uh, the covenant of grace. Kind of shows both the covenant of works and the covenant of grace as well. That as in Adam all die, so in Christ all are all made alive. So it's kind of uh, hopefully it helps you to understand the whole idea of a federal head, someone acting on our part, um, and that when God makes a covenant, He makes a covenant. He has promised. What are some things He promised Jesus? All the nations of the world would be His. All the nations of the world will be His. If that promise is made to Christ and we're in Christ, what does that say? All the nations of the world are ours. <laughs> All the nations of the world are ours, right? Right. And you see this in Galatians 3. If somebody wants to turn here. Okay, yeah, 28 and 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. He's talking specifically about promises made to Abraham, right? Mm -hmm. What were promises made to Abraham? He would be our God and we would be his people. Yeah, that, that's the that's the big main covenant promise. Yeah, that's that's the biggie. But specifically in Galatians, or excuse me, uh, Genesis 15, Abraham's concerned about two things: an heir, an heir, and a place to stay. An heir and inheritance. The inheritance being this land that God has promised to him, right? And so, first of all, with the, with the, with the heir, he takes him out and he says, You know what? My uh, servant's going to become the one who gets everything of mine. God says, No, nope. come out, look at the stars. Can you count them? No, I 
can count them. Well, so shall your inheritance be. You're going to have this many. And um, you're not going to be able to count them. And then he, he arranges the whole issue with the, the ceremony for the cutting of the animals. And at the end of that, he's saying, you know what your people are going to be? Uh, 400 years, they're going to be confined, but they're going to come out and then they're going to come back to this land, right? And it's going to be theirs. This is what I'm promising you. And he gives dimensions of that land. And uh, he gives dimensions of that land. We know that is what is Israel today. Paul, in Romans chapter 4, when he's talking about the promise of the land, He's talking about, um, he's using, as you'll recall from Romans, he's using uh, illustrations to show, Paul is using illustrations from the Old Testament to show that this is not a novel idea. The salvation is by grace through faith. And so he's giving Old Testament illustrations of faith and how God credits the faith as righteousness. He uses uh, primarily Abraham. He also talks about David here. But in this passage where he's talking about Abraham, look at verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Okay, so the promise that he would be heir of this little strip of land in the Middle East, right? Is that what he says? He would be heir of the world. You think that was a mistake by Paul? Did he did, did he get it wrong there? Do you think maybe this little bitty strip of land that's over there that we still call um, um, 